Hi, welcome to After the Crisis with Victoria. On this podcast, we talk about stress, trauma, plain old bad days, and how those events impact the way in which we walk through the world. Everyone needs to be heard, and I am here to listen. Together, we will find realistic, healthy ways to turn our setback into a comeback. If you're a person who has ever endured difficult times, which have left you feeling disconnected from your authentic self, a little bruised, or even a little broken, this podcast is for you. Good morning, and welcome to After the Crisis with Victoria. My name is Victoria English Martin. I am so happy that you're here. I'm honored to have an incredible guest today. Her name is Claire Reed. And we came across each other's paths. I found a cancer magazine in one of my doctor's offices last month. And yes, that's what I do for fun now. I read cancer magazines. And Claire had a featured article in the magazine. I was so inspired and interested in her work and in her personal journey that I was bold enough to reach out to her, introduce myself, and she has agreed to be my guest. And we are like minded in many ways. We have a passion to help others who are going through difficult times. We have a lot in common in that we are both triple negative breast cancer survivors. And Claire is a cognitive behavioral therapist. She trained in cognitive behavioral therapy, which I'll refer to as CBT, Back in 2008, after a decade in the corporate world in human resources, and practiced it for nine years, specializing in anxiety and self-esteem. However, in 2017, Claire was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer, stage three, at only 42 years of age. Her cancer treatment included a quadrinectomy, followed by chemotherapy and radiotherapy. She found CBT techniques saved her sanity during treatment and set out to help cancer patients use CBT techniques and tools. In 2018, she was diagnosed with a secondary cancer with a tumor in her brain. She was hospitalized while waiting for the brain surgery to remove it and had follow-up radiosurgery. She is nearly a year on from the brain surgery and has had three clear brain scans and a clear full-body PET scan. That is wonderful news. Claire, thank you for being here. I am grateful that you are here with me and willing to share your message, your story, and I love how the universe works in bringing people like us together so that we can collaborate and serve and help others. Thank you very much, Victoria. It's a great introduction. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed at this end. I'm thinking, who is that actually talking about? Oh, that's me. <laughs> so that sounds like an incredible woman. I'd like to meet her. Oh, it's me. Wow. I don't, well, good. <laughs> I think <laughs> I'll send you the transcript. You can read it to yourself each morning. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I think it's a great cheerleading transcript, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I think back to my journey with this cancer. I'm thinking about two years this month, nearly this day, but I got diagnosed the first time officially mm. with this cancer. And I think back three years ago, I didn't know anything about cancer at all. And I didn't know anyone but I had cancer. And suddenly my world's suddenly full of people that have cancer. Mm-hmm. And I'm really encouraged and delighted to 
be able to share so much valuable knowledge that I've gained in the last two years with you and your audience. So hopefully this is going to help some people out there. I know that it will. I know that it will. You and I have spoken about breast cancer awareness and that is noble and wonderful. And I am grateful as a survivor for the resources that have gone into research and new treatments to extend our lives and lower our risk of recurrence. But it really isn't enough because awareness is one thing and education is another. And I'd like you, if you don't mind, to tell us briefly about your journey leading up to your diagnosis, because I think it is really important for our listeners to hear your story what was missed, what you would have done differently had you had the education around triple negative breast cancer that we have now. And when you hear this, listeners, if it doesn't resonate with you, it will resonate with somebody you know. So I encourage you to please listen to this story and share it with the people you care about and who matter to you because somebody needs to hear what Claire is going to tell us now. Go ahead, Claire. It was a dark and stormy uh, night. <laughs> yes, um, it really seems that way. I mean, it's a bit of a Halloween story. If I, I it, it, it is um, a bit of a, a, a nightmare actually, story. <laughs> my actual journey with cancer started much earlier than my diagnosis date. So in January 2017, 11 months before I was officially diagnosed, I moved to Italy. And so I started to get these strange breast pains on the right side now and again it wasn't very often mm-hmm. and I put it down to being frozen because it's very cold here in this part of Italy okay uh-huh. okay <laughs> I had problems with problems keeping the house warm you know so I put uh-huh. it, down to that. <laughs> it takes it's a bit nipply to a whole new level <laughs> yes exactly it's really nipply here <laughs> Oh gosh! I just didn't know what to make of it. I thought, what, am I stressed with this move and everything else? I didn't know what was going on, so I kind of ignored it because it wasn't every day I was having to think about it. But from about March and April time, it suddenly just, just seemed to be there all the time. This breast pain. So I did some research on Google, as you do, and looked up signs of breast cancer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And every resource I found, unfortunately, did not mention breast pain. Mm. And that's really bad. Mm-hmm. They've every other symptom of breast cancer, but apart from breast pain, it seemed to me. But obviously, since that time, I've found a couple of places that do mention breast pain. And I'm, I'm at pains to point out why breast pain needs to be highlighted as, as yes. a symptom. Yes. Because I went to the local GP here, <laughs> and I don't speak much Italian. So I took a friend of me and she just had a prod around and said, I can't feel any lumps here. So you're going to have to have a scan. So I went to a scan at a private hospital down the road. And it cost 60 euros for the first mammogram I had. It was a bargain. Mm. <laughs> Absolute bargain. Thank God. But unfortunately, that scan and the follow-up ultrasound scan didn't show anything. Mm. So I, I went away and I went away, come back in six months, they said to me, come back in six months and we look again. And so I don't know if it's, it's really strange. The weather here is very hot in the summer. Mm-hmm. So 
throughout July and August, the pain seemed to go away, and that's mm. great. But then in September, it came back again. <laughs> I was like, what's going on? I mm. can't keep with this. Anyway, I wanted it for about a month, and then it was nearly six months from the last one. So that's all went back to have another scan. And then they found this big lump in my breast, but it was so dense tissues. Dense tissue is, is a very awkward thing to have in breast because it hides a lot of currents up on mammograms. Yes. You know, if you have dense breast tissue, you have to have an ultrasound as well as a mammogram, I think. And I definitely don't know what the policy is in America. I don't know what the policy is even here, but you have to have an ultrasound. So I had the ultrasound. The mammogram picked up nothing, like zilch, mm-hmm. nothing at all. And the follow-up ultrasound had picked up a tumour that was growing very rapidly, mm. about two centimetres. Mm-hmm. And I thought, my God, two centimetres, what's that about? You know. So I had the biopsy, and obviously the biopsy came back with some interesting results. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was staggered. I, I thought it was going to be benign. I was sure it was going to be benign. Um, mm-hmm. So I was like, from 42, how can this be? 42. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the doctor sat me down and said, really not, not good news, Claire. You have <sighs> cancer. I was like, God, <laughs> you're heavens above. And literally the only person I knew that had cancer in my life was my mother. And that was 10 years ago. And she had estrogen positive. So Oh, for God's sake, I'm going to have estrogen positive then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, that means I've got to be an awful tamoxifen for life, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. At that point, you're thinking tamoxifen would be awful. Mm-hmm. Oh, exactly. I said, right. to him, I said to him, the doctor, I was like, oh, no, I've got to be on tamoxifen for about 10 years then. I don't want to be on tamoxifen. It's like, actually, your character is worse. <laughs> Yes. How can that be worse? How can it be worse? What do you mean? You're going to be wishing for tamoxifen. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, and that's when he said, you've got triple negative. And I never in my life had heard of triple negative. (laughs) I had never heard of it. I was like, what do you mean? What's that? You know, he's like, oh, we're going to operate as quickly as possible and get that tumor out. So I was like, okay, whatever. Whatever you have to do, just put me on the train. I'm going to go forward with this. Whatever you say, yes. I'll, I'll be agreeable. I, was, I think I was in shock. Yes. Not so much shock with breast cancer because I was kind of expecting it probably about the same time as my mum, you know. Mm-hmm. I was kind of in the back of my head thinking this is going to be the case, you know, mm-hmm. but not for another 10 years. Right. And obviously in the car after I met the surgeon, I went straight to Google, looked up triple negative, and I was horrified. And I was flat out horrified. I was like, God, are you kidding me? All the stats were there, you know, mortality rate stats, everything, and no treatment stats, all these other things I was coming up with were horrifying to me. I thought, my gosh, I can't have this awful triple negative. It's impossible to deal with. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to treat. And it looks like I'm going to die. That's what I thought. I really <sighs> thought that. But. I have to say, being in Italy was a great result for me because not once did anyone say anything of a kind to me. They didn't say, this is a really bad prognosis, you're going to die or anything mm-hmm. like that. So I was given some hope because they were so positive around me. But I, I actually started to feel very, very looked after and very well, very quickly. And once I got over that little shock, I started to think, this is 
treatable because they're, they're saying they're going to treat it and give you chemo and radiotherapy and all the stuff. I was like, what's that about? It's treatable, right? So mm-hmm. that's what am I complaining about? But I was given the same cancer treatment as somebody that has estrogen positive breast cancer. Okay. I was given FEC, and don't ask me to pronounce those words because That's I can't. <laughs> FEC, Paclitaxel. So those are yes. the chemotherapies I have. I didn't know, but they weren't targeting triple negative at the time. I agreed to do chemotherapy. I mm-hmm. just thought, oh, maybe my Google results weren't that good or out of date. There's mm-hmm. these two chemotherapies I'm being given. That's great. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that oncologist is very positive. You're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. It looked like GI Jane within a couple of months. I was like, great. Right. And Louise, what does that look? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Demi Moore look. <laughs> yeah. That's the only good thing I can think of. Looking like Demi Moore. <laughs> That's far more attractive. I thought that I would look like Caillou, the little cartoon character, <laughs> or Mr. Clean. So oh. I like the GI Jane. That's far sexier. and. Yeah, empowering and looking like Mr. Clean. The Italians here are very much about your looking like your what you look like and how your boobs look like. Because obviously, up front, very quickly, when I found out about the connective, was going, I want my boobs taken off, please. You know, Mm -hmm. Angela Jolie style. I was like, get rid of them. I don't want them. Get rid of them. Yes, they suddenly go from being, you know, uh, one of the focal <laughs> points of our outfits and how we get dressed and yeah. you know how do they look to good lord get them off as fast yeah. as possible yes I can but relate the surgeon to that. wouldn't allow it he wouldn't let me do it the surgeon was very experienced so you did not have a mastectomy no he wouldn't let me have one <laughs> interesting and he was 70 years of age my surgeon and had trained with a person that had been a person to create lumpectomies okay so he knew his stuff he was very seriously high very seriously senior in italy for breast mm-hmm. surgery and he wouldn't let me take my boobs off i was like <laughs> and he said to me claire your boobs are beautiful. We're not coming off. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. Only in Italy can you hear a surgeon say that. I was about that. to say, that would, uh, that would not fly in the States. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it would fly anywhere outside of Italy. You finished treatment. You were aware of the risks of this cancer metastasizing to your brain. Can you tell us about the period leading up to that second diagnosis? Obviously, uh, uh, the very last stage of me was radiotherapy. And uh, there's 30 sessions of, of radiotherapy over six weeks. And at the end of that, they said to expect vision problems. So I had vision problems. And I thought, well, there we go. So we have radiotherapy that's caused vision problems. And it's going to get better. I'll wait it out and see what happens. But vision didn't improve. And I thought, well, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is around September last year. And the next thing I noticed was my handwriting seemed to get smaller and smaller. Okay. And I write a lot of notes in my CBT therapy. I'm writing notes mm-hmm. all the time as people are talking to me. So I'm very aware of my handwriting. Of course. Even though it looks like a doctor's scroll, I'm very aware. <laughs> and unfortunately, it didn't get better. And I thought, what's going on here? It must be because my, my arm is, is tight from the breast cancer operation. Because right hand on the right hand side. And I'm right-handed, so I thought I'd do some more yoga. 
and some more stretches and see what happens. And it didn't improve things, unfortunately. And the next thing I noticed was, and this is the real red flag, mm-hmm. my right foot started to clip the pavement as I'm walking along. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm having a stroke. I really am having a stroke. Get me to A&E now. So my husband and I rushed to A&E and a very provincial right. little hospital here. And they straight away put the MRI machine to scan my head and see what's going on in my brain. And that's when they told me we have a lesion. Mm-hmm. And it's growing fast and it's got a lot of edema around it. So it had swollen into the brain. And he had to be admitted to hospital because I'm in danger of having that epileptic fit. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not epileptic at all. It's just that side of the brain is in the area of, of edema <sighs> was around. Right. It was causing so much pressure on the brain. I was in danger of having that mm-hmm. epileptic fit. I thought, oh my God, what on earth? So yeah. I went straight to hospital in, in an ambulance and didn't, didn't come out again for five weeks. Yes. It was a bit hard for me to take only because I had asked the oncologist and the surgeon about the chances of brain tumours. And unfortunately, I forgot to mention earlier, unfortunately, the symptoms of brain tumours that mm-hmm. are, again, on Google and all these places you're looking for symptoms of, do not mention the things I had. Right. And that's a bit like breast cancer diagnosis. Not The pain isn't mentioned. And motor skills or motor skill dysfunction is not really mentioned anywhere. Obviously, headaches is really big, but I had not a single headache mm. and any pain. I had vision problems, but that was down to radiotherapy, I thought. So it's a bad coincidence. Right. You thought you were recovering from the radiotherapy. Yeah. But the motor skills were not mentioned once. I didn't haven't read motor skills at all. And even in when I arrived in the neuro ward, because I had to be admitted, the doctor said, have you any pain? <laughs> and all this stuff. And all the all the symptoms of, of right. brain tumours were read out to me and I was saying, no, 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 and all vision problems. But no, yes, I had that. Right. And the other ones were not, not mentioned at all. So I'm, I'm uh, again, it's sounding. It's like I'm meant to have this. <laughs> exactly. Well, <laughs> I'm meant to have so this experience. <laughs> Once again, you know, here you are with a secondary cancer and just like with your primary cancer diagnosis, your symptoms do not check all the boxes. Yeah. And so, oh, it must not be that, right? But you mentioned that because of your research skills and what you do, you knew Mm -hmm. and you were not willing to accept that broad diagnostic tool for yourself you knew that something was not right and that's incredible that's incredible and such an important message if you feel that something isn't right just because you're not checking all the boxes just because your doctor says no that's not a symptom of this yeah trust your gut trust your gut we our bodies speak to us right our bodies tell us what's going on Mm mm-hmm that's incredible. And I, I love what you said. So you were in the back of the ambulance and you vowed that you were going to make this part of yeah. your mission. I had some time to think in the ambulance by myself because my husband was behind in the car following along. And I thought, what on earth, you know, what's going to happen next? I was so angry at being told I might be hood of having a brain tumor next. Mm-hmm. I was so angry just at that. I was accepting of the brain tumor because I was expecting it. 
but I was angry at being dismissed. I was angry at them telling me no way. And so I said to myself, in the back of the ambulance, I'm going to make, when I recover, yes. when I recover my, my voice next year, I didn't know that might then have a very long journey ahead of me in terms of recovering from brain surgery. But I vowed to make a change to alert people of the symptoms of secondary breast cancer. And there's so many things that can go wrong after primary breast cancer. But definitely the brain for me really will have to be jumping on the bandwagon next year with trying to get this out there. Because mm-hmm. even now, look at the official NHS symptoms, let's say, and um, it says frequent headaches, vomiting, dizzy, fits, impaired intellectual function, mood swings, balance fatigue, and changes to my normal self personality-wise. None of that came up for me. Mm. It was just blurred vision. Wow. That was all. That was all, but that was certainly enough. So what is life like now? Well, I can't believe I'm like reliving this time last year. And oh my God, you know, years have gone by mm-hmm. very quickly. since I was in hospital. The main thing is I'm getting my speech recovered. Mm-hmm. I wasn't able to talk really for about 10 weeks. Wow. That meant I couldn't work as well. And self-employed, it's not good. It's not way to be able to work. And I've always worked. So I really love working and helping my clients. Mm-hmm. And I worked all the way through my breast cancer treatment. So I was really hard to not be able to work. But, you know, the worst thing is my brain felt intellectually fine. Everything after, after having the brain surgery was fine, apart from not being able to speak. And that was quite upsetting. And it's quite a big thing, not being able to speak. And also my handwriting hasn't recovered, really. I can write, but not at a fast pace. So I'm getting very good now at typing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> typing notes up and all that sort of thing. But year on, and I feel fine. I really do. Apart from not being able to speak as clearly as I want to, but it's, it's definitely improving day by day. Good, good. Well, you are a strong lady. <laughs> we're all strong. We're all strong. And I yes, think we're all strong. What's beautiful is, again, is that you've gone through this and I admire your pragmatic approach. I can appreciate that. I didn't spend a lot of time swimming about in my emotions. Yeah. But I admire, you know, some people come out of this and I understand why that they come out of a situation like yours and they just want to close that chapter and say, well, that's over. That, that was horrible. And I want to get on with my life and get on with the, with the business of living. But sometimes in my experience, obviously, as I'm creating a podcast, I never dreamed that I would be doing something like this, but getting on with living for me and it sounds like for you is part of our getting on includes spreading this message to others so that hopefully one will hear this and can be informed and truly educated about breast cancer and hopefully be spared from some of what we've gone through and then what you've gone through with the secondary cancer. Yeah, definitely. I mean, really, if I want to get a message across to everyone, don't bury your head in the sand, mm-hmm. you know, after primary breast cancer is behind you. Yeah. Because you, you just need to be aware of your body and you need to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And I have a four-day rule and haven't had to use it more than once this year, thank God. 
for four day rule of any symptoms that are, are ongoing for four days, I go to the doctor. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, obviously, aside from like things like the flu, right, right. <laughs> any any strange pain, yes, that shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. I have four day rule. I haven't had to use it more than once, and that was on my right hip, which is a lot of pain, mm. and I had an X ray. But I had to really ask my doctor urgently for this x-ray when it started out being more than four days. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, do you really think so? I'm like, you don't have x-ray vision, so you don't right. know what's going on in my head. Right. I'm not going to listen to you, basically, and pop me off and tell me no. Thank so you. I had an x-ray. That is important for people. Think about that for a minute. Whoever hears this, think about that. We're talking to doctors and they know so much, but they don't know everything. And they don't live in our bodies. So I like the four-day rule. I'm going to adopt that because the guidelines from many doctors is two weeks. If you have two weeks of unexplained pain or discomfort, and I think I would be the same way. I think I'd be in there (laughs) knocking on the door, sitting myself in the waiting room with a cup of coffee and saying, I'm here, just go ahead and squeeze me in. I know you can squeeze me in today. (laughs) I think it's really important because we can't apply the same rule as everybody out there because we have had cancer. Exactly. So it's really critical to be seen and treated seriously. Absolutely. That two-week rule, whatever that we're saying, 14 days, is for anyone and everyone. And most of the people haven't had cancer. And they have lymph nodes spreading around cancer as well. Exactly. So we have to have another shorter rule for ourselves because you don't want to get caught late. Mm-hmm. And you'll be kicking yourself forevermore and not going to a doctor. Exactly. Exactly. I think it's okay to question, to perhaps step on some toes, to be perceived as pushy or whatever. This is our lives we're talking about. And you can be well-mannered at the country club and (laughs) at at, at cocktail parties and such. We don't need to mind our P's and Q's when it comes to saving our own lives. Yeah, I think that's an important message. If mm-hmm. you're not assertive, try and go with somebody who is. Yes, good point. Because the doctors are very clever sometimes at making you feel so bad for asking for something to be checked. But sometimes the accompanying person with you just goes, oh, maybe the doctor's right. So we, we, we won't go home with the result we're looking for. Mm-hmm. So you have to have an agreement with somebody you're taking into a doctor. But under no circumstances, unless you change your mind, will you go home without a result? Whatever the result oh, is, getting I like that. getting MRI, getting blood tests or anything. But you have to have a firm agreement. If they're advocating for you, they're advocating your words and your thoughts, not their own. Yes. Doesn't matter what they think. Doesn't matter what they think or what the doctor's telling them. Yes. You know, just make sure that whoever is advocating for you understands what you want. That's a great tip. Because some doctors can really talk down to you mm-hmm. here honestly it's really it's really funny victoria so one of the funniest things I, i'm really sometimes a laugh doctors here are very patriarchal they're about yes always look at the man in the room they won't look at me oh. and when my doctor was telling me the diagnosis actually he was telling me but not not looking at me he was looking at my husband really <laughs> 
And I've, wow. I've rarely had, apart from a really amazing radio surgeon here, is amazing in Shireen. Mm. He's the only one that looks me in the eyes. And he's the only one. And that's because he's under 40, I think. Ah, <laughs> well, no, okay. A bit more progressive. And was okay. directing, including women, including female doctors. I thought, it's astounding. Wow. Look at me, you know, when you're talking to yes, me. Yes, <laughs> yes. Isn't that something? Huh. Okay, another one. Yes, if your doctor won't look you in the eyes. <laughs> wow. Tell well, them you're talking to me. <laughs> yes, I'm right here. Wow. I didn't have that experience. I've had a wonderful team of doctors who told me very hard things, did not sugarcoat them. And thankfully, I've never felt like I was dismissed. But I know that my story, it's the exception because I know that there are so many women who are dismissed or minimized. And I thank you for being a reminder of how important it is to speak up and be direct. So before cancer, you've been a cognitive behavioral therapist. Can you tell us briefly, explain cognitive behavioral therapy? It's a form of talk therapy. And then tell us about how you're helping cancer patients, cancer survivors, caregivers, people who are in this cancer world now, the club we never wanted to join. But tell us about cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, and how it how it helps cancer patients and survivors and their caregivers. Yes, I mean, it's really interesting therapy. And when I decided to retrain in coming out of HR over a decade of working in HR, I was burnt mm-hmm. out. So I had to retrain in something else. And I thought, what can I do? It's therapeutic. I love giving to people. I looked at all the therapies out there, but I chose CBT because it's twofold. There's two reasons why CBT works really well. First, it targets your thoughts. It targets negative thoughts that you're having about anything in life. That's the cognitive part of CBT. Mm-hmm. It's cognitions, mental cognitions. And there's so many techniques and tools that you can apply to those negative thoughts to try and make them more neutral or even more positive and that's great okay because it it's lessen your anxiety or increase confidence and self-esteem and it minimizes the damage for your, the self-talk does to you and sabotaging thoughts are doing to minimize the damage by applying rational based techniques to challenge anything that's negative and call it out for what it is okay obviously sometimes there's obviously real negatives, and obviously we'll come to that in a second. Yes. <laughs> um, behavior therapy, and that's cognitive behavior therapy, is very much action-based. It's what you're doing, your physical actions, whatever that is, from body language, right through to avoidance, mm-hmm. right through to how you hold yourself, present yourself, whatever you're doing, actions-wise, lifestyle, exercise, diet, anything to do with what your body is doing. Mm-hmm. And so it's a twofold, like body and brain, <laughs> my areas of expertise yeah. <laughs> in all ways now, <laughs> body and brain. But it works really well for cancer Yeah, because at the beginning, most people, 99% of people, are going to have high anxiety. Yes. And obviously cancer is extremely serious. And it's very negative. Can't can't run around saying it's really positive. Yeah, happy days. Because it's not. It's just that CBT actually helps people who are getting things way out of proportion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And getting themselves so anxious about having panic attacks. 
Okay. You know, they can't stop crying or anything like this. Yes. It's really good at calming the mind down and thinking sensibly, mm. thinking sensibly and not scaring yourself yes. out, out of all proportions. So not going down the rabbit hole. No, not going down the rabbit hole. Okay. For us lay people. <laughs> yeah. The one thing that cancer does, it creates fear. Mm-hmm. Fear of dying, let's mm-hmm. be honest. It's still fear. Fear of dying and fear of live, leaving our loved ones behind and everything else. But, you know, there's ways of dealing with that fear. It's a very, very strong, powerful emotion. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it takes two pronged attack. It takes cognitive therapy to try and control the mind better and by applying these techniques. And definitely takes physically an effort on the body's part to try and reduce the circumstances of the environment that adrenaline fires off or cortisol fires off. Okay, okay. Those are two chemicals that really are behind fear. Mm-hmm. They make you feel like the end of the world is coming. Mm. And so physically, you have to be aware of what's triggering that and try and do some certain exercises, relaxation therapy, have fun. Mm-hmm. What's that? You want to have cancer? Fun <laughs> goes out the window, doesn't it? It does. It's um, funny you say yeah. that. I was working with my therapist and we do weekly goals. And a few weeks ago, she said, what is your goal for the week? And I said, you know, my goal is to have some fun. I want to do something fun. She said, yeah. that is a great goal. Because you're right. We can experience moments of joy and gratitude, but I was finding that I was not having any fun. No. <laughs> I need to go have some And it's fun. really important to laugh. <laughs> it's so important to laugh. It really is. And I just got some box sets at the beginning of all of this, the first time with primary cancer. I got Frasier and Friends. Okay. And I, I literally just watched them back to back, watched about, yes. I watched all of them about twice. Laughter. Now and after two years. Wonderful. Laughing. Yes. You can't help but laugh at a funny program. Even when in your head, you know, you have to be worrying about cancer. Watching someone like Frasier for me is so funny. I can't help but laugh. Yes, it's hilarious. (laughs) Yes, that's great. It's giving your mind some respite. Yeah, a respite. Exactly. Yes, that's wonderful. Well, I know that you work with a lot of patients over there, but since you operate via Skype remotely, you can help cancer patients here, cancer caregivers, anyone who is touched by this disease. So we have plenty of people in America who certainly need help and some levity and some laughter in their life. I would encourage anyone listening to this to consider Claire's services. And not just if you're experiencing cancer, but if you are past cancer, if you are living after the crisis. I personally was blindsided by what a pit I fell into after treatment. I thought I'd been so strong and I considered myself to be pragmatic. And I was a bit thrown by the post-trauma response that I had when I was finished, when I thought life was going to go on, that I set goals for myself physically, professionally, with my family, how much traveling I'd be able to do to go see my older children, all these things. And then I realized yet again, I don't have control over this journey. 
there are only certain things that I can control. And I'm on a timeline that does not belong to me. I am not making all the decisions. And I wish I'd known about you last summer, but I'm learning from you now. And I would encourage anybody to, this is not being selfish. This is taking care of yourself and learning how to heal yourself. And caregivers don't minimize the impact this takes on you. You know, I've seen it in my older children. I see it in my younger daughter, who's 11. We're now processing some things with her, what this journey was like. It certainly took a toll on my husband, on our relationship. It's very taxing in every area of our lives. And it doesn't end when we ring that bell, finishing chemo. I don't know if they do that over there. No, we don't do it. Here, people celebrate. Sometimes there's a bell to be rung. And yeah, and you think you're going to walk out of there and, you know, prance through life and cancer has other plans. It does. So I thank you for making this your mission. And I've heard this saying, I don't know if you've heard it, make your mess your mission or make your mess your message. <laughs> and I, oh, I think... I like that. Isn't that really great? Good. I've never heard that before. Make your That's mess really your message. Yeah, yes. I love that. And I wish I'd come up with it, but I didn't. <laughs> But I love it because That's really clever. isn't that clever? Well, I bet no one knows about it over there. Go ahead and yeah. you can own it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I love that. And I think that's what we're both doing and it's going to help other people. I really hope so. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I just want to thank you very much, Victoria, because you've been a great podcast host and We've got covered a lot of information. Yes. I, I just hope that we can both go on with and continue the good work. Continue the good work. Without any interruptions. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> I don't want any more interruptions. Yes. I don't have time for you today, you know, Cancer. But... <laughs> I yeah. hear you. I, I just want to get on the road and make some good stuff happen for people. Yeah. No, I don't want to be held back anymore. That's how I feel. <laughs> it's a burning need. Like, okay, I've got to go. Yeah. I've got things to do here on this earth. I understand that yeah. feeling. Well, for my listeners, I will have all of Claire's information attached to this podcast, and it will also be on my website. And I encourage you to pay her a visit. It is cbtforcancer.com. Pay Claire a visit. Introduce yourself. She's wonderfully responsive and compassionate and caring. And I look forward to staying in touch with you, Claire, and seeing what you do in the future. And I wish you good health. You too. <laughs> you too. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, we'll talk again soon. Thank you all. Thanks for listening to After the Crisis with Victoria. For more about me, how I can serve your needs, and links to our special guests, please subscribe to this podcast and visit victoriaenglishmartin.com. Also, come on over to our free Facebook group and join our community after the crisis with Victoria. I'm offering access to fun, healthy, and thought-provoking content. Additionally, you'll find exclusive programs, workshops, and one-on-one -on -one coaching. Until next time, count your blessings, not your burdens. And remember, there is life after the crisis.